0: Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at joshua double underscore stamper. Welcome back, everyone, to the Aspire Podcast, and I'm here with a special guest, Rachel George, and I can't wait to speak with her. She is has a phenomenal book that she wrote with two other authors and I don't want to speak too much on it because we want to dive into that project but Principal Ed is a phenomenal book. I'm so excited Rachel to have you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Hey you're welcome. Happy to be here.
0: Rachel I just wanted to dive into your leadership journey because it's it's a wonderful story and I think it needs to be told to so many aspiring leaders as they begin their journey and then I want to talk about some of the topics within your book.
1: Yeah, you bet. So it's interesting. My educational career was very much like Goldilocks. I've hopped around a handful of different levels. I started teaching at high school, loved it, but was ready for a change, went to elementary and really landed at middle school. And that was kind of a real sweet spot for me. And, you know, sometimes you can't always move up where you're currently working. And that was definitely the case for me. It was going to get shifted to another grade level and another department. I was a middle school math teacher, which was like the best kept secret ever. I think in, in middle school, like people think that they don't want to be a middle school math teacher, but it was heaven. I loved it. (laughs) Right. Super weird, but they were going to move me to language arts. And that was a really huge game changer for me. When you talk about some of that financial aid and assistance with loan forgiveness. And, you know, I'm a good team player. And I was like, okay, all right, you're getting lots of complaints. You need to smooth things over. Okay, I'll get, I'll get shuffled for the good of the order. But when I started looking at the change that I could have with kids and school wide, really knew that I needed to take a leap. And so I started applying for some different jobs and ended up relocating across the state from where I taught at. And at the time, you know, luckily my parents were really, really close to where I was moving to. So it wasn't totally foreign, but was going through a divorce at the time. So you can just couple like divorce and then your first year as a principal, not the best combination. And so (laughs) just a hard, hard year, you know, within the first couple months had, you know, multiple bomb threats, multiple expulsions, things that I never, ever thought that I would come across. It came from like a conservative community. And I just got my whole world rocked because the place that I had moved to was, they experienced a lot of poverty. Like it was really, really common that you had multi-generational families in one home. Most of the time they didn't have power or electricity, hundred percent free and reduced. Like you knew that you were really doing awesome, huge, important work every time you went to school. Yeah. And loved it, loved it, Um, ended up meeting my husband, who's a middle school principal, so you can imagine the conversations at home, right, like two principals, like, what did you have, what did you have happened today, oh, I had this, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so said, so just an interesting adventure, you know, he ended up being named middle school principal of the year for the state of Oregon, and that opened up some different opportunities to move again, kind of closer to where some of his family and his parents work because they're aging. And I decided to switch down to the elementary level, kind of sharpen my skills and branch out and, and learn more. And I got to tell you, it's like the best place ever. I mean, I love middle school, but like I was not used to getting hugs all the time and the high fives and felt like a rock star. Uh, It was just an unbelievable change. And so I've been at the elementary level, this is year seven, uh, year 10 as a principal and, love every single moment, I feel like I'm making a difference and live in the dream. But I got to tell you, there's been lots of bumps, bruises along the way and dumpster fires, (laughs) that we have to sort through. But when it all comes down to it, it it makes a huge difference for kids. And it makes a huge difference for staff.
0: So Rachel, the main thing I've gotten from your story is change. There's a lot of change Mm -hmm. that you've gone through in your experience. And for those who have maybe been on their own campus for a really long time and are scared to potentially move to another campus or maybe move from a different level. Like, like you said, you've been at high school and middle school and elementary. What would you say to those folks that are looking maybe for change in leadership, but are scared to move from their building?
1: You know, there's a lot of that for sure. And I think it's important to acknowledge that there's lots of leadership opportunities out there if you're willing to take that leap and that jump. And if you're always sitting there waiting for it to happen to you, you might be waiting a while Yeah. And so you really have to jump in and take advantage of the opportunities really kind of put yourself out there if you have a strong enough drive to lead and you really want to do it and you feel it in your heart and soul there's there's opportunities and places and if it's not the timing um, and it's not working out where you're currently at you know look elsewhere and actually it while it pushes you and it makes you feel uncomfortable It actually will grow you in more ways than you anticipate, and it'll make you more well-rounded with your personality, with your strengths. And there's so much power in being able to see how different places do things, because I think sometimes when you're staying in one spot for a long time, and maybe you don't have a lot of folks coming in from the outside or you're not connected nationally, your vision and your mindset can be pretty narrow at times. And I think that there's a lot of different creative ways that you can do things and still be stellar at your job and make a positive impact. And you're missing out on some of those pieces if you're not connecting and you're not jumping. So I would say, countdown like Mel Robbins would say, and just jump, five, four, three, two, one, and go.
0: I can't tell you how much I've grown through different experiences. Like you said, you know, you've been at the Title One schools or you've been to mm-hmm. schools where they're very well off and, you know, the different levels between high school, middle school, and elementary are very vast. Oh. <laughs> they're like totally huge. different
1: worlds. With kids and staff.
0: <laughs> yes, right? And parents and that experience I, I'm I'm guessing has been invaluable to you. I want to talk about purpose because I think, I think it's such a huge topic because I feel like a lot of times leaders are so driven by their goals and where they wanna go that sometimes they lose that identity of their purpose. And so why is that so hard for leaders and why is it important to clarify our purpose?
1: Great question. I think for starters, it's important to remember that it's not about us. It's about everybody else. We're in the people business. We're here to serve students. We're here to serve staff. And as soon as that shifts to where it's all about us and maybe we're, you know, us moving forward in our career or opportunities happening to us or for us and trying to create that, I think that's where we really get off track. Mm -hmm. And the why that I find myself always coming back to is being able to really open up doors and opportunities for students So they can do whatever they possibly want come high school and when they graduate, whether they want to go to college, whether they want to go to a botech school, whether they want to cut hair, whatever the case might be. We want to have every opportunity open for them. And that starts at a really young age. It starts at preschool. It starts at kindergarten, developing that love for learning and just that perseverance and that thought of how they view school. And so regardless of when I was at the middle school or at the high school or elementary, like that's what keeps me going is really creating better opportunities and opening up doors for students. And that varies for people. But you know what? I can tell you one thing is that that never wavers over time. Right. Like during the pandemic, my why didn't change Mm -hmm. during the times of huge, huge, stressful moments in my life, personal or professional That got me out of bed, like that got me, you know, going. That made me drink my cup of coffee if I was feeling a little sleepy, and just pumped me up. And there were times where you know it's real emotional work, and it would just bring tears to my eyes. Of like, you're doing hard, powerful, important work in the world. So I think if you're not clear about it, you definitely get pulled one way or the other. I think you often get drawn to the shiny, entertaining things, the next thing that's brand new in education. And you know what that does to staff is (laughs) it exhausts them. It makes them frustrated and it seriously just irritates them. And you don't end up making any forward progress. You end up really just going in circles or in fact, you go backwards. And I think that nobody consciously really wants to do that. So just keeping that thought process about what's your why and what are your core values? And then how does that translate to serving the others that are around you?
0: In your previous answer, you were talking about, you know, working through strengths. And I feel like a lot of leaders, as they're trying to get to that next level, they focus a lot on their weaknesses because they feel like, oh, I'm missing this piece or this skill to get to the next level. So why is it that we should focus on our strengths as a leader?
1: fantastic question. This thought process was introduced to me during my admin program. And I'm really thankful that it was because I definitely came from that mentality that I needed to be very well-rounded and I needed to be able to do everything across the board. And that's not the case as a leader, but I think we're often led into believing that. And I think that we think we're more marketable, but in fact, if you can just own who you are and like be okay with that, and really work to the positive end of that, you're going to be so much better off because you can't spread yourself so thin and you're not going to be a super awesome leader. You're going to have some really weak skills or just no stuff at the surface level. You're so much better off surrounding yourself with people where that's their expertise and that's their passion. And when you really put those people in those places, it inspires them. It motivates them. They have the autonomy, they have the drive, they have the interest. So you end up with a more healthy, positive team overall than if you were trying to do it all. And it's not, not your wheelhouse, you know, and in the book, I talk about budgets and can I, can I manage a budget? Yeah, I sure can. Do I understand the codes? uh uh-huh. Did I take the class? Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, but I got to tell you, I knew going in that that was going to be a weakness for me. Like I don't balance my checkbook. I keep an eye on my bank accounts, like just not something I'm passionate about. Yep. So when I had the opportunity to hire somebody, specifically my office manager, or principal secretary, mm-hmm. whatever you call it in your spot, I knew I needed to find someone that had that strength. And it's fascinating because I was sitting with a director at the time and the director kept saying, I oh, need to hire this other person, which was very similar to me, but didn't have strengths in the areas that I was much weaker in. And I'm, I'm so thankful I did because together it was like the yin and yang, and we were able to complement each other. And that thought process with hiring and filling out teams has carried through me throughout my career, you know, looking at combinations of teaching teams, combinations within office staff, my social worker, she'll play good cop, I'll play bad cop, you know, we're real intentional about what roles we play and, and how and, and those are kind of our comfort levels at times. And they sometimes they ebb and flow on the circumstances, but it puts people in the right spot. So they're able to be successful. And ultimately, when you get back to serving people, and serving students and adults, we want to set them up for success. and leading with strengths is one of the best ways that you can truly do that
0: yeah i love the idea of constructing around your weaknesses because when you're going through that hiring process it's pretty natural to gravitate toward people who have similar strengths as you you probably get along more with them and within the interview process but it may not be the best thing for your campus or for your students so um, i love mm-hmm. that, that piece that you provided as far as the office manager um, i want to move to embracing hard conversations because I love that chapter because I was remembering myself as a teacher just sitting in the office with my assistant principal and just being so uncomfortable in certain conversations and like to the point where I just wanted to run out of the out of the office and she told me you need to be comfortable with the uncomfortable And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I kind of get that, but I still, it took a while to get to that place of having those difficult conversations and and being fine with that. So for aspiring leaders that may not have had that experience, or maybe had the same feeling as me is just like, your skin is crawling, you want to run out of the building or run out of the room as quickly as possible. What would you say about how to have those hard conversations and how to get experience in that?
1: Well, what you were describing with like the itchy, crawly skin and like the nerves, that's normal. And I think that that's sometimes something we don't talk about. I've been through a lot of them, which I'm sure you have now oh, too, yeah. <laughs> but like, I still get them. I still get them. where I, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have my nerves are going now. I need to go to the restroom like four times in the 15 <laughs> minutes leading up to the meeting. I feel like I need to do some jumping jacks or like shake it out. Like I'm going to go on to a wrestling match or something. And that's normal and a part of the process. I think the key is being able to take a breath, to be compassionate and to be human when you're having the conversations. And that means slowing down and tapping into what your heart and soul is saying, and also being able to read the other person with how they're receiving it. You know, I was given some great advice by a mentor superintendent many years ago. And she was like, Rachel, when you signed your contract, you signed up to do the hard work. You didn't just sign up to do the assemblies and to give high fives and to walk through the halls. This was an agreement saying you were going to have the hard conversations. So whether you like it or not, you better put your big girl boots on and get after it. I was like, oh, geez, serious. (laughs) Right. And so every time I think, man, do I really want to have this conversation? I reflect, do I need to have the conversation? Is it the right thing that I need to do? And typically I always come back that it it is the right thing to do. And so at that point I start structuring the conversation and I role play it through my head, just like a little movie. Like, what is this going to look like? What are the different potential paths that it could have? And let me tell you, like my first couple of years, I had no clue where to start with this at all. And so I utilized a lot of different building leaders in my district Like I would call them and say, Hey, I'm having this conversation. This is the circumstance and situation. What would you say? What does it sound like? What do you think they're going to ask? And I'd like write it down (laughs) because I tend to remember things better if I write it. And and that helped a ton. But I got to tell you, even in the middle of some of the conversations, I'd get stuck. So I had a couple go-to moves where I'm like, that's a great point. Let me get back to you. Or I'd ask for a break. Said, can I come back to you in just a quick moment? I always made sure I took my cell phone and there were many times that I was hiding in the bathroom, which shared a wall to my office and was making phone calls. Like the parent just said, they're going to sue me. Can they really sue me? Or they can't, they said, I can't search the kid or the staff member replied and said this, what do I do now? And so it was a really kind of nice time out for me to a take a break and then b to get some feedback about how to proceed. Cause there are so many unknown situations and depending on your situation as a teacher, you may or may not have been involved in any of those types of conversations. (laughs) And so it could be really brand spanking new. So man, lots of growth. It's a never ending process, right? There's always new personalities to navigate, new situations to learn and grow through. So it's just a a matter of time and leaning in.
0: Yeah, there's never a dull day in leadership. That's for sure.
1: No, not at all.
0: (laughs) Whenever you think you've experienced everything, then that's the day something new will happen.
1: Yep. Or you know that you need to start pushing yourself to grow. And you know, I had a principal at one time, and then he moved to the district office. And I ran into him after I got my first admin gig. And I was learning how to ski, because we're really close to the mountain. And you know this translates to leadership i think real nicely i was super stoked that i wasn't falling anymore when i was skiing i'm like dude i can go down the hill i can go down not like not the black diamonds but like i can go down these fronts (laughs) and i'm not eating it And he looked at me, and I thought he was going to be like, good job, Rachel. And he's like, you need to be trying harder. If you're not failing, if you're not pushing yourself and uncomfortable, you're not growing. And I think that that is really, really truthful when you think about leadership and just us as educators, that if we're not failing and messing up and uncomfortable, then we're maybe not growing as much as we should be.
0: Yeah, no, I love that metaphor.
1: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about the book. For those who may not have read Principal Ed yet, will you just kind of give a quick synopsis for our aspiring leaders?
1: Yeah, you bet. So this book was written with two uh, of my dear friends, Courtney Ferrua and Kate Barker. They were both elementary principals at the time. Uh, Kate still is. Courtney's at the district office now. And we just had some phenomenal synergy. Our schools were all super high performing with some really challenging demographics. And we found a lot of commonality with our systems and structures, how we approached leadership. We still had some differences, but the amazing thing is that they yielded incredible outcomes for students and staff, just a vibrant school culture. And we were sitting around after a principal's conference because we met through our state association. We thought, man, we need to write a book about this because as we spoke and connected, we realized there's a lot of folks that really don't talk about the part that just sucks about leadership and the hard challenges, but then how to get through it, right? Because it's not just about complaining or like, man, this is super hard, but how do you lean in? How do you grow and how can you replicate the success? because there were so many commonalities between the three that you can, you can pick them up and be wildly successful with your school, you know, and fit it to make, you know, it fit for you and your school personality. So we really wanted to share with folks that when you're not alone to this job, is hard, but you don't have to do it alone. And that there's some skills and strategies that have been proven, tested and tried, and you can come out the other end being so much more successful. And we're also super transparent about, our learning that we've had along the way and some of the bumps and bruises that we've had. And I think that's often the beauty, right? We tend to hide them because we're embarrassed about our mess ups and what other people might think. But the ironic part is that's where we grow the most if we're willing to have those conversations. So we lay some of those missteps out for you in hopes that you're able to gather some insight and inspiration and maybe make a better step than we did at that moment.
0: Yeah. I love it. Um, and it's so true. The stories in here, it's not just like, oh, I'm successful at everything that I do for <laughs> you know, we're, we're this amazing school. And I love the transparency that's in there. I think it's real and and will touch a lot of leaders as they read it. But I also want to talk about some of the other projects you're working through right now. So will you just share some of the things? Because I know you're working with a women's series and then also um, something with your husband too.
1: Yeah. Um, so Corona t- COVID time has definitely been a writing time for me. I think it's been a a great reflection opportunity. So uh, my friend, Maya Elise Tolan and I, we right now are in the editing stages to do a women in educational leadership book under the Lead Like a Pirate Guide series. So really, really exciting to have that come out next year. And then my husband, a middle school principal, um, he and I are working on a game plan for success, um, which is like a playbook that lines out kind of that systematic step process that you would have coming into a school department or grade level to how to have that positive change. You don't have to be brand new. Uh, you can be somebody that's already been in the position and kind of revitalizing it. But it takes all the research. It takes all the the leadership pieces and just really puts it out in a really nice step-by-step framework for you that you can really pick up and implement whatever your setting is. So that's just awesome. been writing up, up a storm. Yeah, it must
0: be therapeutic for you.
1: For sure it is.
0: <laughs> so, Rachel, I want to end with this because I love asking my Guess about aspiring leadership. So for those who are listening, who may have a title may not have a title, what is some one thing that they can do this week, next week to help enhance your leadership skills?
1: I would say, I'm going to give you two, but I'll oh, make please. them short. <laughs> uh, networking and mentoring. And they can make sure you're networking with folks outside your district. Twitter is one of my favorite things. But however, you're connecting on social media, continue to do it, reach out, get different ideas. And then you cannot go without having a mentor and you need to have multiple mentors in different areas of your life. Those folks will guide you, help support you. You know, there's so many people that have been on this path prior to you that have found success and there's a lot you can learn from them. And many of them are just sitting there waiting, ready to share their thoughts. You just need to reach out and connect with them.
0: So I want to touch on that, the mentorship piece because I think it's too important just to leave alone. So you said have multiple mentors so I've done that in my own life, but I know a lot of folks where they've had one, they've been with them for many years. Why is it important to not just have one to focus on, but, you know, what are some other benefits to having multiple mentors?
1: For starters, it's, it's really positive if someone has one mentor to start. And especially if they have a, a really long history, I think that that's super, super positive but I would encourage the person to really look at the different perspectives that somebody could offer. Right. It's again, going back to that strengths perspective, that it's super hard to be like super well-rounded and really, really strong in all aspects. And so the more mentors you have that are slightly varied in the different roles and perspectives that they provide, the more well-rounded you will be. And the more that you'll be able to see your blind spots the things behind you, in front of you, and to be able to help navigate. It's kind of like when you're doing your capstone project or any data analysis and you're looking for triangulation, right? You want different perspectives, different vantage points, or if you're lost in the woods, right? Like I'm up in Oregon in the woods. Like you don't just take a compass reading from one point, you know, you take a bearing shot from different locations. So you can make sure to have a really good understanding of where you're at and what your next step forward is. And then the best step forward, right? Cause there's many steps you can make. They just might not all be in the same direction or the best one for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have many personal mentors, lots of different perspectives when it comes to leadership mentors, you know, and folks at different levels. So I have, you know, mentors that are at the secondary level while I'm at the elementary folks that are at the district office and then even superintendents, you know, maybe one day that's where I'll end up. You never know, but just learning and understanding those bigger, broader perspectives, it's huge. And I encourage you if you're a brand new leader to also realize that you can mentor people that are coming up through the system or also you can provide guidance to folks that have been in the business for a long time. And that was a huge shock for me. Like my first year as a principal, I had folks that were calling me and asking my opinion. And I was like, are you crazy? Like, do you not have anyone else to talk to? Cause I don't know what I'm doing here, but it was fascinating hearing their perspective. They wanted to hear my perspective and my thoughts because I was new. I was, uh, you know, with fresh, a fresh set of eyes came out of a different program than they were or had been through. And to be able to share and collaborate on those ideas, it's powerful.
0: So you said people called you and you said, do you have no one else to talk to, right?
1: <laughs> I totally did. I actually told my secretary that, like, you wouldn't believe this. This other middle school principal just called and asked me what they thought. Like, who, do they know who they're asking? I've only so, been in this job like three months. <laughs> so there
0: are people out there, though, that don't have any one a call for mentorship right so if mm-hmm. there's someone listening right now and they're like i have nobody on my campus that either will be my mentor or i don't want anyone on my campus to be my mentor where would they go
1: i was in that boat when i switched to the elementary level there was one person in the state of oregon that i really admired and respected so i reached out to her and i knew her ahead of time but outside of that i was at a loss mm-hmm. so twitter in fact was probably my best wheelhouse in terms of being able to get folks um connected and to be able to figure out what they were doing and how they were doing it. And, you know, I didn't meet them really face-to-face until like years down the road, but folks were just so willing and able and happy to share ideas that it was literally just me getting outside of my own way And comfort zone and saying, Hey, Amber Teeman, can you help me with this? (laughs) Hey, Melinda Miller, like, uh, what, what did your ice cream social or your back to school night look like? Mm -hmm. And part of it was like Twitter stalking. And then part of it was like reaching out and interacting with that, you know, DM Mm -hmm. or that reply back. So, I mean, Twitter's Twitter's been my deal. So that's been a big saving grace. Well, you
0: named off some amazing leaders, both have Mm -hmm. been on the aspire podcast and We just talked about connecting on social media. So how can our listeners connect with you? Yeah. So
1: on Twitter, I am Dr. Rachel George. And then same thing on Instagram. And then Facebook is just Rachel George. So... And my website is drrachelgeorge.com. So all all (laughs) consistent. Very
0: consistent. And so we'll have all of those links in the show notes and also a link to get the book Principal Ed. And I just wanted to thank you, Rachel, so much for joining me this evening on the Aspire Podcast.
1: Thank you.